You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. Hello, my name is Virgil O'Keefe and you're very welcome to our first episode of 2022. I have some great episodes coming up over the next few weeks, including a Portugal destination special. And next Tuesday, I'm going to have a very special episode on Anthony Bourdain. My guest today is one of my favourite UK stand-up comedians, Patrick Monaghan, who's half Irish and half Iranian. I first saw Patrick at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival over 10 years ago, and I've been bringing him to Ireland for stand-up ever since. Patrick is a big bundle of fun and energy, so I wasn't surprised to see in Wikipedia that he holds the world record for the longest hug. Patrick was the first person I actually interviewed for this podcast way back in September 2020. I've been saving this episode for the right time. I think January, when you need to pick me up, is the perfect time for Patrick's episode. You will hear a quick chat now with Patrick from yesterday and then the full interview. He's full of positivity, so I think you're going to enjoy this episode. You were the very first person that I recorded, would you believe? Yeah. And that was back in September 2020. Absolutely crazy. Do you remember? They were the days when there was COVID. And, remember, remember COVID? Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you remember COVID? And you know what? It's terrible. I, I kept your episode as my security blanket. Can you believe that? September 2020. And we were talking about uh, COVID should be over fairly soon. Yeah. And yeah. here we are. January and I was saving you and I think now's the time to put you out put out that episode because <laughs> it's January and everybody's going to be a little bit miserable it, uh, Fergal there'll probably be about 17 different variants by the time this goes out in January <laughs> yeah. it won't be a lockdown we'll all be living on the moon Elon Musk will be like okay right everyone no more vaccines let's send everyone to the moon a happy new year first of all you're looking great, and uh, I would say that's because you're just after coming off the um, the panto. Yeah, the panto is such good fun. Ooh. It looked brilliant. I was following your updates every day. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, it was such such a great cast. Uh, everyone was so good. I mean, do you know what? It's as a comedian, as a pro- you're always on your own, and you travel around, you do your own shows, and that there's so many pros and cons to that. Like you know, because it look when you're on stage, it's great. You've got the whole audience for you, da da da, and then you've got no uh, pressure of doing the rest of the script, whatever. But then you miss that whole just bouncing off so many people. I mean, it was hilarious. I mean, some of the. I mean, I'm pretty mad. I'm absolutely bonkers. So, but. Some of the people there were close, close to sort of my madness. So I thought, oh, this is great. You can actually do stuff. And it was, um, and it's nice when you, you know, when you spend the months with people, because like, you don't, I mean, look, you know, it's like with comedy, the most you might see someone is for like two days or three, you know, if they come, they do the tour show and then they've gone the next day or they might do a weekend, you know, of stuff. So you don't really get to spend that long with people. And, um, oh, we were just, and it was great because, Look, you, I always, I'll do something and then and then the next day they'll try and one-up it. And then the next day they think, okay, well, I'm going to go and one-up this one and then I'll try and, you know, yesterday I hid under, uh, you know, whatever, a box or whatever, I'll do this and that. Then tomorrow they'll, like, try and jump out the music pit, you know, with a bucket on the red or whatever, you know, so it's always, and I think that's the good fun, fun about it, you know, so it's just keeping, particularly during these times where, you know, for 18 months, 
you couldn't even, you know, you couldn't even see anyone outside of your house. Exactly. So it's New Year's. So do you have any um, New Year's resolutions or do you do that? Yeah, well, do you know what? I I used to do it all the time and I do still try and do it. But then I um, I think I read something, a great thing about saying, why do you wait until December and January to make resolutions? Just start doing them during the year. So what I do is, and I found this so much easier because you put so much pressure on yourself, don't you, at the end of December, where you think, oh, God, what have I got to do next year? I've got to make things different. Whereas during the year, I just scribble down things. Like in September, I'll go, do you know what? Actually, start getting up a bit earlier. Start doing this, start doing this. So then by December, January, I've got like about 300 things. Just <laughs> scribbled in my notes thinking, Jesus Christ. I'm like, I read it all. I'm thinking, who's this for? Who's going to do all, all of these? It's exactly. like, like you brought Joe Wicks, The Rock, the Iron Man, and everyone <laughs> like, who's gonna who's actually gonna achieve any of these in their exactly. lifetime? It might be twelve months. Well, I'm I'm a cliche. I, I rejoined the gym like uh, a few days really? ago. I'm under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, and so they've opened your gyms. That's good. Oh yeah. During yeah. this lockdown. Oh yeah, the gyms are open, just the pubs aren't. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, what what? How is so what corona doesn't want dumbbells, it will go nowhere near dumbbells, but if there's beer. It's literally, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's probably a touch of the Irish about coronavirus, actually. Like, love, <laughs> loves pubs, hates gyms. <laughs> I mean, that you that should be the campaign. That should be the next campaign that they should put out. Put it in Ireland, put all of your adverts. It, over here in England, we'll have Chris Whitty and Boris Johnson doing the same. Yeah. Boris Johnson seems to have, like, a magic touch because it just doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to be happening in England for some reason, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, but do you know what? Do you know what, Fergal? And look, and you know, I'm not a political comic at all. I don't know much about politics. But I tell you what, he's, he literally, he, he's like, it's like a game of poker. He knows exactly what, he's literally waiting to go around Ireland. I've done this, Northern Ireland, Scotland, have done this. Well, and he's like, literally, I'm not showing my hand. He's literally, <laughs> he's literally, there's like a massive pot in the middle of the table. And he's got, he's probably got a two and a seven and a nine. He hasn't even got a full out. And he's just like, right, I'm cashing in on this. Because it has actually, I mean, it's absolutely, but I don't know one single person, again, like I said, I'm not political. I don't know one single person who would even vote for Boris or even likes Boris Johnson. But he's like, everyone's going, but then everyone, but no one's got a bad word about him now. They're all like, oh yeah, he's done a good journey there. Boris kept England open. We mentioned, I mentioned this in the panto about, the whole thing about um, Boris Johnson. See, this was the other great thing about it was that, I mean, look, I know the pandemic was horrific and it was a big life change thing, but but then it, it was so funny because in the panto, so old school, we managed to like modernise it. And I remember doing jokes about, I mean, I was putting loads of jokes in about, you know, um, so like if we were doing Cinderella. So Cinderella would say to me, oh, look, um, you know, the prince is holding a ball this year. I want to go to his his party. Do you know that he does these parties? And I said, I said, yeah, of course. I know the prince has balls and parties every year. I went to I went to one of his parties last December. It was at 10 Downing Street. Boris Johnson was there, oh, JP. It was like Dominic Cummings. Then it turned into a business meeting, allegedly. And then I'm doing all this. And it's hilarious because all the parents are laughing. The kids are laughing, even though they don't really get it. But they're laughing because the parents are laughing. Boris couldn't lock down England because people would be like, well, mate, when it was a lockdown last year, we were all at home and you were, you were having a party, you know? So it's just, so I, I mean, I do feel sorry for Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, whatever, you know, it's, 
because you, I suppose you haven't got that leverage, whereas people here would just, oh, it'd be chaos. But imagine if Boris had done the same here and said, you can't go out eight o'clock, like the pubs are closed at eight. I mean, it's just like, it would be literally every pub would still be open and they'd just put cut out, cut out to Boris and bloody uh, Jacob Rees. They'd put all them in the window. Pubs. Just, I just, just, put up, just put up a sign over the door, meeting in progress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just wouldn't, I mean, it's just bonkers. Well, listen, great to talk to you. And we're going to go into your episode now. Well, talk to you no, soon. Thank, lovely. Always great to chat to you. Hello, Patrick Monaghan. Welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to see you. Where are you recording from? Good to hear you. Good to see you, Fergal. I am I am in, uh, in my new hometown of London, where I have been here now for, God, I've been here for a couple, of, a couple of decades now. And it's so funny because I have literally, I'm like a traveller of the world, which we'll, we'll find out as we chat through the podcast. But, um, but London is great, really, because it's one of these places where you feel like you are in a different part of the world. Every, every zone that you go to, every street, you know, you've got so many different cultures here. And I think that's why I like it here. It's brilliant. It's like a, like a mermaid slipping back into the ocean because then nobody gives a monkeys. Everyone's just like... Patrick, I did a little search on Wikipedia before I went on this and uh, yeah. you're described as an Irish-Iranian comedian, which is a lethal mix, I would say. <laughs> so what is the connection with that? I mean, it's great. It's, it's almost like I've been pulled up by... Um, like undercover terrorist cells and they're going right we need to we need to uh, find it's like you know like the born identity but in reverse they're going right we need to get a lethal mix of some of the most uh, deadliest uh, un, uh, republics that uh, instability <laughs> and uh, yeah so basically it is it, so basically my uh, my mum uh, and her family there we're from Iran well that's where I was born in Iran but then my mum's not really she's a mix herself she's like all her families have been finding, and you know, you chat to all family. They're all like actual Arabs, and they're from Baghdad. They're from Iraq. A lot of them. So my family sort of moved over to Iran from Iraq, you know, during the last century or so. And then, then my dad, to make things even more complicated, he comes from Ireland, and then he was like all the Irish. They all venture out. The Irish people are like they just you're like you're like one of them. Um, Ferrets, aren't you, Fergal? Once the yeah. Irish people got they're like this, they go, Oh my god, would you look at that? There's a plane there. Where can we go now? Let's have a look. And then they just fly off. And then so my dad sort of eventually went across Europe, was working everywhere he could, he was a welder pipe fitter, and then he eventually went further out east east, and then they settled he settled in in Iran because there was loads of work out there, just you know, he'd work on the rigs and metal work welder, and then met me mum, and then I had all the family and the kids out there. And then I think, they were, you know, they were planning to stay there for a bit, but then there was the big war because we were, where we were living was right on the Iran-Iraq border. Wow. So it was like a massive war in the 80s. And so we all, we left there, went across the Middle East. And then, yeah, I, don't, I think, you know, and I think that's where I get it from really about my traveling, about going there. Because I think the thing is my dad, well, he doesn't give the monkeys where he would live or where he would go. And I think my mum... Her family, because again, they were all from that sort of 
you know, very uh, nomadic background where they were sort of traveling across, you know, from Baghdad to, you know, them sort of people. I, I think that's why the Irish people are very, get on so well with Middle Eastern people because they're all, it's all in our blood, isn't it? In a way where we just... Nomads, yeah. Yeah, nomads where we just sort of travel, you know, it's like, it's, it's all beautiful open countryside and it's all the same, isn't it? Wherever you go and then you can settle in. They're not bothered, you know, wherever we go, yeah, it'll be grand, we'll, we'll settle down there. So how do you find that going through, going through airports? How do you find that? Oh, <laughs> it's one of the worst things ever. I mean, I have literally, I, it, it goes from, I've seen every expression on a, on a, you know, on a border security guard's face, from, <laughs> like literally from confusion to like, and then panic. And then sometimes they just laugh. Or I remember I was going, I was doing some gigs and I was going from like, I had to fly out from, I was doing them in Turkey. Then I was going out to the Middle East, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Bahrain, and then I was coming across. And I remember going through all these different uh, border controls. And because it's bad enough uh, when you're just traveling through Europe, but when you're going from Europe, then out to the Middle East, and because I've got two passports, so I had like my original was the Iranian passport. And then my other one is my Irish passport, which is brilliant. People love the Republic of Ireland. That passport is the best one ever, Fergal. You can go anywhere with that. I recommend this to anyone. Just get that. And I know, look, there'll be people listening to this who are from, who are, who are in England or in, in Britain, the UK, whatever. Get yourself an Irish passport. It's not that hard. Get over whatever you need to do. Bribe an official. Put somebody in an envelope, whatever you I can. I think there's a lot of people, like there's a lot of applications yeah. coming over for some reason. I, I could be yeah. to do with Brexit, I'd say. But, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. What's happened? What what could possibly what could possibly go wrong in the next year or two that hasn't already gone wrong this year? But it's like it, it is honestly. I couldn't believe how people look. I mean, it's not just like a joke or a stereotype, but people love the Irish passport. Even though on my Irish passport it does say you know born in Iran in Avos and all that, so that does create a lot of confusion, a lot of tension. But I remember, um, so I was going from Turkey to Abu Dhabi. And I was going through the border checks and the guy just pulled, pulled me out and I'd gone through one and then I went to, and he pulled me across, he took my passport. And then it's the usual thing, they always go through it and they take ages. And I was actually, I remember I was with another comic and he, and he went straight through, like he looked at his thing, they just looked at his passport, went straight through. And then I just assumed, oh, we'll be all right because we're both, they can see we're both traveling from the UK originally. And then the guy pulled me aside, then he went through it, and the other comic started panicking. He was like, you could see me there. there. And I was all right, I wasn't too and, the, and he was more worried than me, because he was thinking, oh my God, he's, they're gonna just, they're gonna detain him, then they're gonna detain me as well, and all this. And, and the guy was like going, okay, what, um, so uh, this passport, it is Irish? I said, yeah, yeah, it's Irish. He goes, uh, but here, it says here, you, uh, you are from Iran, from Abbas. And I said, well, you know, originally I was, from there, you know, but I, uh, I was born there, but you know, I've, I've left there. And I went, he went, but, but then how is this Irish? Why have you got an Irish passport? Why not it in? And I said, because, I said, what do you mean Irish? Because my dad's from Ireland. I said, what do you think? I just went over to the vending machine. And I just put <laughs> and I said, like, what passport? I could get Swiss. I'll tell you what, I might get the Netherlands ones nice. I like orange. I went, I got the Irish because my dad's Irish. And, and my mum's ring, so I've got, like, I've got two passports. Mm. And then he, he was really serious, and then he suddenly changed like this, and he went, he went, uh, oh, it's very good, though, the Irish one, isn't it? Very good. Very good for you, <laughs> very good for try. I said, yes, it is, yeah. And then he went, he went, and he goes, um, uh, my wife, my wife, uh, she is, she is Libyan, 
but I am Turkish, so I, I am okay with my passport, but she want, we want to get her a European passport, Irish one. And then he started asking about how I could get her an Irish passport. And I was like, and he obviously, and he was like really, he, from the most really stern, aggressive, to like a really nice guy, and he started chatting, and he was like really interested, like as if like I knew like tricks or whatever how to get it. And I said to him, I said, listen, I said, the only way your wife is going to get an Irish passport, mate, is if she goes and gets an Irish dad. Just tell her to go and find one of them, and then she'll get one. And, and I said, they, my dad, if he's anything like my dad, just they'll be, they'll be out looking for metal, they'll be fly tipping. You can pick up loads like that. <laughs> and it was like, and it was so funny, but it was, um, it is a real conversation starter, though, as well. Right. I but, but it does, I mean, yeah, it does, it causes so much chaos at the airport. When was your first trip abroad then? It would have been in my early to mid 20s. And this was when I, and it was all linked to do when I started doing stand up. What's this? I remember the, um, so I had my Iranian passport, and that we obviously just let that run out. I renewed it. And then um, when I started doing comedy, I got, um, uh, I, there was, there's like, so in the northeast of England, there's a, there's, they have all these regional different TV channels. And there was one there, like, uh, Yorkshire TV and, and ITV, whatever, um, Time Tease it was. And they said, oh, look, we're doing this travel show. And they got like a, a serious woman presenter, but they said, we need like, and she was young. And they went, we need a young comedian. I was like young at the time. And they went, we need a young guy. You'll, you'll fit, it's brilliant, with a bit more of a comedy angle to it. And we'll send you off to these places. And I went, yeah, brilliant. And then, then I had to go and get my passport. So I went, we went and got... Uh, an Irish passport because I didn't have any any passports then that would work apart from my Iranian one, and then and then they sent me off and we went to places like well in fact one of the places we went to was Belfast we went to Lisbon in Portugal we went to um, uh, Copenhagen beautiful mm-hmm. um, and we went so we went to five different places and none of these I'd ever been for it was brilliant because it worked so well for them they couldn't live they were they were going. Like the producers on this when they'll film, they're going, Wow, this is great. You're so interested when you when you it's almost like you've never been to these places before. I'm like, yeah, I've never been anywhere. So this is brilliant. And she went, and like we were going to like Belfast, the Europa, which is like most people like I me, mean, you go to Belfast if you want just for a drive or something. It's not like, you know. But and it was great because it was so interesting for me just to go to all these places. But I was so nervous. I remember getting on the plane and I remember um especially when I was going to like Switzerland and Luxembourg and even to Belfast, I remember just throwing up because the planes were so small oh, and you were just vibrating like yeah. this. And it was, yeah. And that was the one thing that I thought, Oh my God. And then now, then obviously since then, and then with the comedy took off, it was literally, I was getting on a plane, you know, God, sometimes I was getting on a plane every second week or everything. Wow. So it's not, you know, okay. So getting on a plane, it's just yeah. like getting on a course. It was just, you've been all over the world with comedy, yeah. haven't you? Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's. I mean, it, it sounds terrible, but if I mean, I'd never do it. But if I was going to set up a terrorist group, I would just <laughs> get them to become comedians and just say, "Look, just I'd teach them. You could have the easiest. You could, you know, bus separatists or whoever. If the <laughs> Colombians want to set up a terrorist group, all you do is just train them up to do five minutes of stand up, get them all, get some all back, and then bang, just get them around the world. Then they're going everywhere. It's the easiest way to infiltrate the whole mm. world system. And but yeah, oh my god, I've been to like literally when uh, when I was thinking about it for this, I was thinking, oh my god. So I've been to like 
Costa Rica, I've been to Australia, I've been to Spain, uh, Austria, Switzerland, Germany, Finland, Sweden, um, uh, all different parts of Australia. Um, I've been to New York, America for the gigs. I mean, places I've been to, you know, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Bahrain, even places I've been to where you would literally just fly in, do the show like Rome, Naples, you'd fly in, do it, and then you know, you'd literally, you might have a couple of hours in the hotel, back, back on the plane, then you, you're out again, you've gone. So it is, it is quite funny, if someone ever, if they ever did trace you, you know, if anything did ever happen in the future, and then I got investigated, they started tracing and going, actually, this guy could have been a secret service, you know, he could have been an agent for someone, you know, a double agent or something, because he was literally, I was turning up to places, you know, that you would take, you know, eight, nine hours on a flight. And I was literally in the country less than I was actually on, you know, a 14, 16 hour round trip. And you're in the country for like two and a half, three hours. I mean, it was hilarious, five hours, if that, you know. And how do you find us like doing gigs abroad compared to, to um, the UK? Like, is there, is there a big difference with the audiences? Do you find that? Do you not? know what? It's, um, yeah, I think, no, I think all the audiences... I think particularly, look, we're in a we're in an industry where, you know, people come and see comedy. So it's like, you know, you're not going to go and see comedy if you if you haven't got a sense of humour, if you're not, you know, you're not up for a laugh. For comedy, it doesn't matter where you are because should be just it's just as easy anywhere, you know, as long as you know the people have come up for the night out. The only difference is, and this is what I recommend to everyone, even if and not just comedians but anyone in life, I say, look, and it isn't all cliche, but you've got to travel, go abroad because it's, it will make you 10 times sharper. It'll make you 10 times more aware about life. It'll, it'll make your mind just expand, you know, by 10 times because it's like, you know, particularly for, from a comic point of view, you can't just go and, you know, good comics or anyone, you know, once you know what you're doing, can coast anywhere, it's dead easy. But whereas when you go abroad, you can't, you know, it really makes you think, no, no, you can't do that. That's, you've got to, it's got to be just funny, funny what yeah. it is. Tell it's a pure, story. It's pure. Pure, yeah, and it's just got to be bang, really good. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, if you look at it, that's why people like uh, the American comedians, like, you know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Rich, uh, Chris Rock, uh, Richard Pryor, whatever, you know, Kevin Hart, all these comics... This is why they sell out 80,000 seated stadiums, 100,000 seated stadiums, not just in America, but then they'll go to Europe and sell out a stadium there, 50,000. They'll come to England and sell out. They could sell out two-week runs of the O2, 20,000, where only like literally one, one or two comics in the whole of the UK could even manage to do that for a week. And I think that's, that's the difference is because they're so good at just, you know, back, they're so good at just doing that. And I think... Like the time when I went to Germany and I played uh, Berlin, Templeton. Like Berlin is a bit like London. It's this massive city, very multicultural. But, you know, they, they speak English very well, but they don't want to. You know, they just, they just speak German. You know, they could do that. But I, I was the only comic on the show. It was all like German uh, circus acts, performers, you know, chat show thing. And then I came on and did stand-up. But, but they said, no, you do it in English. And I went, yeah, great, because that's the only language I can do. I'm not going to to German. And they went, no, no, but we like you to do it in English because um, the audience, they're all German, but they, um, everyone else does it in German, but we like to one act to be English because they like, 
they like to see how good their English is. You know, they love it doing their, yeah. uh, it's like a little, uh, it's like them showing up going, yes. And you know, like us, if we could speak Latin, go oh, watch this for five minutes in Latin. And so anyway, I went on and did my acting in English in Germany. And it was hilarious because they were literally laughing at all the wrong points. So I'd literally go, good evening, hello. Um, I've come from England. My, uh, my mum is Iranian, but my dad is from Ireland. And then it, they would just laugh just because of that. They think, oh, that is very funny. That's very, and they're just, they're laughing at all the setups. But then once you then do the punchlines, and I remember like, you know, I said, you know, it's a nightmare spending our family holidays in customs. And then instead of them laughing, or they go, yes, yeah, it's very difficult. Yes, very difficult. <laughs> How it, and they'd, like, they'd empathise with things like that. So it was, but again, only from travel do you, would you ever learn things like this? You know, I was loving it so much, you know, travelling with the gigs that it's not really, it wasn't really a job for me. You know, it's not, I think it's like, you've got to, when you love it so much, doing, you know, doing the, I mean, it was ridiculous. We were going to, I've been to places like um, Costa Rica and, you know, and you what literally. Like? What I have been there. Oh, you've never been? No. It's terrifying, Fergal. You will, you would, uh, uh, the place, the people are lovely, but it's terrifying because there's more snakes in Costa Rica than there is people. Do you like snakes? You don't have snakes in Ireland now. No, no, not since St. Patrick came here. We got rid of the snakes. (laughs) He drove them out in his van. I know. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, but this is the thing with a place like Costa Rica, oh my God, beautiful. but, But then it's terrifying because they'll say to you, oh God, there's, you know, there's like, there's like literally, there's 127, 127 different varieties of snakes. Wow. There's literally millions and millions of snakes. There's only like five, under five million people. And there's, there's about 30 snakes to every person. There's like, you know, there's 30 million snakes, five million people. I mean, there'd be more people if they just got rid of the snakes, but they can't, <laughs> so many pretty snakes. And then this was, this is the thing that, and I think if I didn't know that, if they didn't tell me, so, cause they're so nice out there, they're very chatty. They're almost, I mean, Costa Ricans are just like Irish people with sun. And it was like, they're so chatty. They want to tell you all about the, this, their country and things. And then we got this tour guide and they would take you around. And then I was just getting petrified cause I was thinking, oh my God, there's snakes everywhere. There's like this. And, and then he was like, I remember he'd say things to me like, he said, don't worry. He said, don't worry, you know, um, things to do to avoid snakes. Number one, don't stand on a snake, then it won't attack you. Right? And I was like, well, how does that help? I mean, if you stand on anything, it's going to attack you. If, it's still, if you stood on your granddad, he's going to attack you. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then the other thing was, which is really topical to now, he was like, said, um, and um, stay two meters away from a snake. If you are two meters away, you won't get attacked. And I was like, Gee, could you imagine? I mean, have you, it's the same in Ireland. Have you been to the supermarket? People don't even stand half a meter away from it. They're meant to be two meters away. It was, you, got, you can't get a snake to stay two meters away. What were the tape measure and stuff? But it was, it was brilliant though. I mean, but again, yeah, if you said to me, you know, would you go traveling? Would you go somewhere like Costa Rica or something? I'd love to go, but then I'd just, I'd Google it. I'd look into it and go, oh my God, this has got like 10 of the world's deadliest snakes. Got this, this. I got, now you're all right, Fergal. Cancel that trip. So where would you recommend then? What country if, if, um, would you recommend to go to like your go-to country if you were recommending people then uh, on your travels? Well, do you know what? I have been to so many places. And, and again, I think it's the people that you meet. I think it, it does with which parts you go. Cause it's like saying, you know, you could say to like people from South America, Hey, you should come to 
to uh, England for holiday, but then and then they turn up to like Rotherham or Doncaster. <laughs> what the hell have you sent me here for, you nutter? <laughs> yeah, so it's like so you've got to every country is worth visiting. There's so many great places, but you just got to make sure you got to the right place. And I, um, I mean, I, I remember going like place like Turkey, amazing Crete, all these places. Particularly for us, lot I'd say, particularly in Ireland, the UK. If you're going somewhere. Go somewhere like that because it, it, Turkey and all these sort of places, they've got such a lovely culture, but also it's got that right temperature where, uh, I mean, it gets to the high 30s, which would probably kill most of us. Well, yeah. kill off Ireland. But these places, honestly, I think they're beautiful where, because what they, what, we, they've got we, the right mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of a seaside, they've got great food, very friendly people, but also the sunshine, it's almost like it's turned on with a thermostat. It's like literally all through the morning, night, even at, at two in the morning, you can wear a T-shirt. Uh, there's no sun, you know, even though it's dark, but it's still lovely. It's like room temperature, like 20 odd degrees. I remember going to Egypt and, um, and, it, and it hit 43 degrees, 44 degrees. And I love the heat. I mean, when we have like the heat waves, when it's like 30 degrees, I'm loving it. But like my, my partner and other people, like my friends, were, they hate it. But I, I love the heat wave. But when I, when I was going to Egypt and they did announcements on the plane, they said announcements before I got there. They, and, and I was thinking, they're going over the top here. Why aren't they panicking? They're going, listen, we have to tell everyone it's going to be uh, over 40s. Please, you have to be very careful. Uh, precaution, you have to do all that. And I thought, they're just milking this. It's not going to be that bad. And as soon as we landed and they opened the doors and it was literally, I, it's like literally, you know, like, uh, someone's got a big bonfire or a, a, a thousand hairdryer and they've thrown it in your face. And it was unbelievable. But it was, uh, yeah, lovely. I mean, for literally, you could, I love stuff like that because you could run out for about 30 seconds and then run back in, whatever, you know. I think whenever you're going anywhere, you, the, the hardest thing is the language barrier because it is, because again, for like I've seen it with my Middle Eastern family, if you say someone... Um, doesn't eat that. Like, they don't understand what lactose is. They wouldn't understand if you said, look, if that person has yogurt, they're going to die. And they just say, ah, oh, come on, stop being silly. Come on, it's okay. It'll only be a little bit. Come on. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, so it's, and I think this is the problem that you've got when, uh, when you are going abroad, that it is, you've always got that lost in translation thing, which is, you know, it's been since the beginning of the time, I suppose. And it's more of a, I don't think it's so much with the language, but I think it's more of a culture thing. Yeah. I think they just don't, I don't think, you know, some people realise that, you know, it's like people when they say, oh, I'm not drinking. Come on, it's okay, I'm going to, come on, I'll put ice cubes in it. It won't be so alcoholic. Like, no, no, no. I'm, driving, I'm driving a 62-foot ton truck, mate. No, no, it's okay. I'll just, I'll put a straw in it, an umbrella. Yeah, Edinburgh was where I first met you. You've been going there a long time, haven't you? Oh, God, I've been doing Edinburgh Festival since 1936. I think even before it <laughs> I was always, it is so funny because I have, I did, I literally did Edinburgh Festival as like one of my first shows, even before I even knew what comedy was. I started around 2000, 2000, and I remember, uh, I only did a couple of gigs and then like uh, comics, I just met a few comics, whatever, just, they're all pretty new like me and, um, and then everyone would start talking about going, oh, everyone's going off to Edinburgh. They're going off to Edinburgh in the summer, in August. I was thinking, what's going on in Edinburgh? You know, I, 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 think, I don't even think I'd been to Scotland at that point in my life. And there was literally like Steve Coogan was there, you know, uh, Lee Evans. There was like every single big comedian you could think of was literally about two yards away from you. 
And I thought, this is unbelievable. Like, if a bomb went off in Edinburgh during the festival, then you'd think, oh my God, we're going to have to go back to watching Laurel and Hardy videos because like, every comedian was there. And then, I, then as soon as I did that, I went back and every year since I just started doing a show because I thought, oh, I want to do be part of this festival. It's great. And then 2007, when I, when I saw you, that was great because that was the good thing about Edinburgh, that it opens up other festivals around the world. Exactly. So it is, you know... It's almost like Edinburgh's, even though it's like a bit of an umbrella, it's like, you know, it's in its own bubble, but it's not really because it opens up every, everywhere. I mean, I've, from doing the Edinburgh Festival, which is so interesting, we'll talk about this in, with you today in the podcast, is that it's taken me to so many different parts of the world. It's taken me different shows, uh, even different venues, festivals, cruise ships, whatever, you know. And then, uh, and then Clamel, which was absolutely <laughs> fantastic, because I'd never even, never even been to Tipperary, which is shocking considering I've got a family, half my family, uh, uh, well, True. they're not common, which is, it's not far, is it? Edinburgh, like it's got its own energy, hasn't it? it did you fall in love with it straight away? Like the- yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, the good thing about Edinburgh is that it's like, it is like being, a, 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 being a, like one of these, a 48 hour rave or festival legal <laughs> where, but instead of like poppers and pills, it's like coffee and sugar snaps, you know, to people, keep people awake. Uh, and it is one of them things though, where even, it doesn't matter what you're doing, even if you're just a punter watching, or if you're a programmer coming to look at events, or if you're an artist or an act performing, it is one of them places where it's so addictive. You just sort of get drawn into it. And then you forget about what's happening outside of it. I mean, it exactly. is like every year. It's a I've bubble. Been, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and it is like literally it, every year I've been at Edinburgh Festival, like major events have happened around the world. And in August, nobody even knew about them. I can relate to that, um, what you're saying there about, you know, say as a promoter, going and doing 10 shows and you're just going from one into the next, into the next. And uh, the thing I noticed is that um, it was towards, you know, when you're do- after a few days, your eyelids would tell you if a comedian was good or not, because after five minutes, if they were good, you were awake. If they weren't, you you know, because it's so hot there and the rooms are all so stuffy. I could feel my eyes get heavy. That was the test on how good a comedian was. That is such a good test. So true, though. Yeah, it's like time doesn't exist there. It's like... You could go and see like a great stand-up show at like eleven thirty a.m. in the morning. Like literally, you've had like breakfast. People are sleeping in. They'll go and get a coffee, and they've still got a croissant or, or whatever or a sandwich, and they're just sat. And then they're watching this great stand-up or a compilation show. You know, eleven thirty, twelve, and it's brilliant. And people are, are laughing just as much there as they would on a Friday night, eight o'clock in Manchester. You know, exactly. So that's the great thing about the festival. Any holiday disasters, any holiday mishaps? Well, I've, I've had a few, but I think the one I, I can remember the, the most was, so I was flying in to do um, some shows around the Med, so like Naples, Nice, all these places. But the only thing was um, we, we had to go on a cruise ship so they would take you around. So they flew me in uh, to go to Naples to pick up this uh, uh, cruise ship like a boat. But anyway, I get there with my luggage, my luggage doesn't turn up. So I'm waiting at the airport. And then, and then they said, oh no, just, uh, well, if you just get on the cruise ship, we'll try and get the luggage for you. And I thought, no, there's no way this is happening. So I ended up just waiting. I thought, oh no, it'll be all right, it'll, it'll arrive. It'll arrive, it'll only be a little bit. And I thought they'll just wait. 
while this, uh, uh, this luggage turns up. Anyway, about eight hours later, the luggage doesn't turn up. And then worse still, as I ring them back, the cruise ship has gone. So I'm now left at Naples airport with no luggage and also no cruise ship, no, nothing like this. Like, oh, God, I thought, this is horrific. And then eventually, then I had to go and find like a hotel. Now I don't, you know, don't speak any Italian. And Naples is nice, but it's quite, it's quite run down. It's a bit old school. And uh, I mean, it's lovely to look at, but so I was just walking around, trying to find somewhere. And then I found like a little hotel and then I just checked in there. And then, um, and then this is the worst thing because you don't speak Italian. And it was all like one of these small hotels, local TV. So it was like all Italian TV, couldn't understand a word. So I just put that off and then just started looking. I, I ended up just spending the evening just looking at billboards outside of the, outside of the uh, hotel room. Like they just looking out there and then waiting for my luggage to turn up. Eventually turns up, they kept saying, oh, yeah, it'll turn up in an hour or two. And I kept uh, trying to contact the airport. So like, I didn't even sleep on like one o'clock, three o'clock, five a.m. And then it turns up, the bloody luggage turns up at like 8.30 a.m. the next morning, having breakfast downstairs while I'm still haven't had any sleep or anything like this. So, then, yeah, so eventually I got it and then I had to do, and then it was sort of like, then I had to try and catch this um, cruise ship, which had then, because it left Naples, then it was going to the next destination, which was somewhere along the Med, on the south coast down Nice and then somewhere across. So then I had to then, jump in a taxi and drive across Europe, like I think it was like 800 kilometers or whatever, or something ridiculous, like five, 600 miles across to try and catch the cruise ship, which was then going to be leaving again at 6.30. And it was like a movie. It was literally, I think I made it by about like, I think it was something like seven minutes before it was leaving. So if I missed it there then, and then I'd have to stay in another hotel and then try and catch it another place, another place. You'd be doing so, a, drive, a driving cruise tour, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. following the boat on land. Yeah. Me and the taxi driver, just chatting to him. Oh, <laughs> Is there a country that you haven't been to that you would like to go to? There yeah, must- do you know what? I always, and even before I was traveling, when I was younger, I used to love um, Brazil, South America, you know, like most people. And I suppose it's because, you know, you grow up as a kid and you always see like the Brazilian football team, you see all this great, the Rio de Janeiro festival. And I've never, I mean, Costa Rica is the closest I've ever been to, but I've never been to anywhere in South America, you know, um, although I did get offered uh, to do a show in the Falklands. And I, I turned that down, it was just like, oh my God, it was like to go to the Falklands, which was, and it was, you know that you, you because it's like, um, I think you have, to, you have to get a flight to somewhere. You can't even get a direct flight. You have to like fly to Argentina, which is like, you know, a, a day or whatever that is or whatever, half a day. And then, then you've got to get a helicopter from Argentina to this island, to Volans. And then it's the coldest island in the world in the middle of nowhere. So like that was, yeah, it wasn't too hard. To that one down. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, yeah, this is. This so is Brazil, crazy. Brazil is your spot. Yeah, so I'd love to go to somewhere like Brazil because you've got like the coast, you've got all, you know, and and the music. And I think, yeah, and, and you know, even though I remember I was seeing stuff on the TV after that, the World Cup, you know, when people talk about the flavels or the, fla- you know, like the, mm-hmm. and the slums and all that, and people say it's dangerous. But actually, I'm quite inspired by things. Like, I think, oh, God, I'd love to see that side of it, you know, because you never see that. I mean, who wants to go and, you know, when people go, oh, I want to go to Las Vegas or I want to go to, um, I want to go to New York, Manhattan. And you go, why? And they go, oh, you know, because I want to see the big city centre. I want to see the big Zara. I want to see the big shopping centre. And you go, well, you can see them here. You know, go and see 
the whole point of going abroad is to see something a bit different, you know. Exactly. Like I only got lost. I, I go to uh, Vegas so I can see like a mini Eiffel Tower, and you know, yeah, just bonkers. Yeah. I think just go to the real one and then go and see all the bits around it. But I think, yeah, I think Brazil would be. Um, but the only thing is, there's no. I don't know any comedy clubs there, and I think that's probably the main reason we've that's never made true. it. Yet. I bet you there is though. There's they're everywhere. In the world. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Can you write? They're probably like doing jokes now, you know, in Portuguese, you know, yeah. like joking about in in England, Ireland, what they're like. So my last question. So it's if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, mm-hmm. allow yourself to think of your happy place from your travels. Where would that be? Do you know what? It, and I was thinking about this, and I was thinking if it, I would probably have a couple. I would do if I could go anywhere. And it would probably be, I'd go to Avos in Iran, because that's where I was born. That's where, you know, we had original family. And also it'd be quite easy because um, if you could just turn there, because then I wouldn't have to go for any of that security problems and I wouldn't have to get stamped and stuff. Because this is the problem that we have again with traveling is that um, when I was going to New York in America, they originally turned down my visa. I was going with my partner out to a gig and they wouldn't let me go because they said, uh, and I was panicking. I was thinking, oh my God, what have I done here? And I thought, because they said you've broken one of the laws. And you know, like, so And if you've done drugs, caught with drugs or guns, a felony or, you know, and I had done any of this. And I thought, and then it was, uh, but one of the, the other rules is if you were born in either Iran, Iraq, Sudan, Somalia, Egypt or Afghanistan, you're not allowed to go to America. So I was like thinking, oh my God. So I had to like spend about an hour and a half bringing the home office in America. It took me weeks and weeks to get through to go to it. And then eventually I could go to America. But then the problem now is because you're stamped, if your passport gets stamped, if you go to America and your passport's stamped, then you can't go to Iran. The same way as if you go to Iran and they stamp that, then you can't go to America. So so you're sort of stuck in this really catch-22 situation. So I always, you know, I'd, I'd always wanted to go to America and never been and also do gigs there, but also I'd love to go back to Iran. So I think that would be great if I could just do that, you know, you close your eyes and then just turn up in Avos, you know, in west of Iran. You don't have to go for any of the security because I think that's the other thing as well. They'd be like, what are you doing back here now? What is that? Where have you been? What? Where have you? They'd think like I was a double agent going, where have you been for 30 years? What have you been doing? You haven't been there since you were a little boy. No. Yeah, since we were, we were kids, yeah, since I was a boy. And the problem is, um, boys weren't really allowed to leave. If you had, because there was three of us, you know, like two brothers. So if boys weren't, because we all had to do conscription. So any boys would have to stay and serve in the army from the age of like 15, 16. So obviously I've not done that conscription. It doesn't matter. So even if you go back, you would still have to serve conscription. So you'd end up being you know, taken, you know, interrogated, probably do two hours, sorry, two years in the army, or you'd have to pay them off or whatever, you know. But I'd probably just do it for a laugh. I'd do the two-year conscription. I mean, it'd be hilarious seeing them try to, like, shout at me to go, I'd just be like, listen, mate, I'm 44. I'm not going to do about this anymore. I said, what am I carrying this rucksack for? What the hell is this rucksack? I said, we're not fighting anyone. Saddam's dead. I'd be like, just let me go. It's like, so... So I would, yeah, I think that would be brilliant because it's just, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the, one of the biggest, the biggest things that puts people off with holidays. It's not so much, you know, it's not like the old days where people, oh my God, what, an eight hour flight, 11 hour, nobody gives a, you just sit and watch three movies now. 
did, did, your, did, did your mother ever go back there? No, she no. was terrified as well. Did I mean, she miss she, it? Uh, a little bit, but I think because she saw it when it got bombed, I think when she saw it, it you know, when it, when it got ruined, you know, when it was like under attack, it's like any of us. Imagine Clomel got bombed to the ground or like dropped, you know, cluster bombs, radiate, you know, imagine it's just like a big building site and there's like bombs out. You'd be just like, right, move on next. Let's get out of here. And I think, and I think she's also scared about, you know, when you see something like that, like, cause you can't imagine it, can you? Where you think, oh my God, imagine like where the governments, the army, where all chaos is created. There's, it's all lost control. Then you're just thinking, do you know what? If this can happen like this, it can happen again. So people will just avoid it. I think, I think it's like, cause you know, if you ever went to like, imagine we went to Manchester and then it, it just suddenly started getting raided and you saw police being shot and army and then everyone's shooting each other and you just think, and there's no control or law. You just think, do you know what? I'll probably give this place in this again. True. Well, listen, thanks a million. You've gone through all your questions and those were your travel tales. I really thank appreciate you. taking the call. Thanks a yeah. million, Patrick. Thank you very much, Fergal. That was great fun. Really enjoyed that. Bring you back some memories. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Fergal.